Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to this week's edition of Virtually Speaking Sundays. Today, our hosts are Gaius Publius of America Blog and Cliff Schechter of Libertas LLC. Um, Cliff, of course, is a, also writes for The Guardian and has had multiple TV experiences and is the author of the book The Real John McCain. Gaius is one of the one of the key front pages over at America Blog and is a leader in the progressive movement. So, guys, it's great to have you here. And I think we're going to start by talking about that specter of the sequester. Nice. Thank you very much. Uh, yes, well, very kind introduction. As most people who have been following this know, this we, we've had a whole bunch of coded battles over the last, what, two years, going all the way back to uh, right after the uh, um, right after the health care debate, where Obama has tried to put benefit cuts on the table in a grand bargain for with with Republicans, and it's it's been very slow for Democrats and progressives uh, of various stripes to realize that Obama really, really, really is the benefits cutter in chief, and that's his prime goal. He's waffling all over the place on how much tax revenues he wants. He's a lot firmer when it comes to the, the, the revenue cuts. So where we are now is that we've just passed another deadline. We've passed the, the lame duck deadline. He didn't get his cuts then. We passed the sequester deadline. It was something like March 1st, and he hasn't gotten his cuts then. And we are simmering in the sequester, waiting for the next thing that will cause him to be able to say, okay, now's the time for my cuts. That's either going to be uh, when the sequester hurts enough people that there's a clamor. I think that's his hope. Or the sequester won't hurt enough people because they'll get used to it. And uh, we've got something, uh, debt ceiling crisis coming up around July. And I believe, Cliff, isn't the continuing resolution about to uh, – how far did they push that down the road, continuing a resolution? Fund the I government. I, I don't remember the exact – They pushed it well down the road. They decided they weren't going to make the fight over the continuing resolution. Yeah, well, okay. they pushed it a while. I don't remember the exact date. But, yeah, I mean, it's it, it, probably long enough that uh, – then we can have a fight over that just with everything else is kind of receding. I mean, you're right. This is sort of a government by crisis, isn't it? Yeah. And, uh, so so that looks like the debt ceiling is the next marker. Then that's July, which is a fair number of months away. Um, the takeaway at this point, Obama has gone out of his way to be very, 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 very clear that he wants cuts. He's trying to convince Republicans. He's trying to convince the media. This is kind of good for us because he's kind of outed himself. Um, it's also true that he's desperate for revenue in the form of tax hikes or something he can call um, revenue increases as a way of covering his fingerprints on this. And he's also trying to sell the covering his fingerprints to Democrats in office, saying that if, if we can cover my fingerprints, we can also cover yours and you can vote for it. The key difference is Obama will never face another election, and everybody in the House is up for election every two years, which is 2014. Uh, just, to is, fill in, just to fill in on the King uh, resolution, uh, Political reported three days ago the final package reflects the effort to update appropriations targets for the next six months and redefine the land space, landscape from which the sequestration cuts will be made. So that's at least six months. Oh, good. So we've got three months to wait for the debt ceiling crisis, and then another three months, and we've got a continuing resolution crisis. Nicely timed. Yeah. Um, yeah, Cliff? Uh, no, I was going to say, look, I, I'm, you know, we've talked about this 
uh, I have at least with, with some folks on this show as well as other places. I know you have written much about it and talked about it. I mean, anybody, you know, I don't know how it's at all controversial anymore, how it could be to say that, that President Obama wants to make cuts to these programs. I mean, you know, it's not, it's not about ideology anymore. It's about sort of being able to read things in the newspaper and use your ears and hear when he speaks. I mean, I don't, I don't mean, how many more times do we have to hear about change CPI and, and Medicare cuts and a variety of things? You know, uh, we, uh, the, the broader context that I've discussed it on the show before is, you know, he's looking towards his legacy. And his legacy is very, int- is very influenced by establishment thinking in Washington. You know, it's funny, he kind of jokes that he's a, he's a moderate Republican, I think, at some point. And I think in today's Republican Party, he kind of is. But he's more towards being an actual conservative Republican when it comes to economic issues, uh, if you were to go back 20 years ago. And, and you know, he's come out and he's said all this stuff. And so this is the way, to him, the legacy on on uh, our finances are it, it's cutting these programs. He's able to say he did it and he reached across the aisle and he took on his own constituents. It's kind of like he sees his legacy on education being taken on his own constituencies. So what works in our favor when it comes to the uh, issue of gun safety or immigration or potentially some action on reforming, uh, where it, the motivation is, is for his, leg, his legacy to be doing things on those issues that we all would be in favor of, the problem is, is that it, the way he sees his legacy on a number of these other issues are in classic Washington establishment views um, that really come straight from corporate America and don't represent what most people think. And frankly, you know, the, 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 all the wrangling and the economic cuts, uh, the government cuts and the rest, have to be part of the reason that President Obama's numbers are going down. And I just think, again, the Democrats' open willingness, we've been through this, I feel like this is like the broken record we have to keep hearing. Uh, you know, we've been through this enough times now, which is, you know, no matter how well he's doing in the polls, he spends enough time talking about going after Medicare and Social Security and not differentiating himself from Republicans. These numbers inevitably start to sink because nobody wants this. Now, party members, by by any poll you look at, it's it's, it's just it's, it's amazing. These specialness, considering how we got to this mess, considering you know, particularly when we're sitting here, you know, on the on the tenth anniversary of a lot of these items of Iraq, which is going to eventually, you know, which I think Lindsay was, was I can't think of his name. Um, First name, the economist that got fired the Bush administration for saying that that would probably cost us two hundred billion. You know, it wouldn't be well, Larry Lindsay. Larry, he, he was fired for saying between one hundred and two hundred billion. Right. Beyond, like, thank you for that, Jay. Beyond uh, the human tragedy, which I could take this whole show to talk about as horrifying and and just offensive and hateful in the rest. The economic toll, we're looking at that this could end up costing us $4.4 trillion in the end. So that when you put, not just that, that not pushes, you know, gets to the pharmaceutical industry in, in, in prescription drug bill, but $1.4, I believe it was, trillion dollars in tax cuts, the economic crash brought, around, brought about by the deregulation and cheating bankers have been ready for it. And, and everything else, you know, a lot of things that are addressed um, by the the, uh, the direct caucus's budget, uh, a lot of people are dreadful. but no, in, in, in President Obama, apparently, to many Democrats, certainly to Paul Ryan and the far right, you know, they should pay the price for all the uh, policy making in the last decade are, are issues. And, and, and people with fewer resources. And it, it's really sickening, is what it is. Well, it's certainly a. Uh, uh, go ahead, Cliff. You know, here we are. You just have to like step outside of this world. Sometimes, you know, you almost have to sort of move yourself back. Like it's in Medicare. When you sit there, like I just did, and look at the, the ways that we have spent and wasted money. Cliff, uh, the past. Cliff, Cliff, you're breaking up. Can you try coming in on a landline? Well, you're calling landline. Yeah, do you have the number? Yes, I'll, I'll call in. Okay, great. Gaia, so what do you think about that? Um, well, I heard the break up, the breaking up too, so I wasn't, uh, I didn't know, know if I caught the whole point. But um, yes, it's, it, it, 
President Bush left us with a disaster, as Republican presidents tend to do. And um, as I've been sort of uh, expounding for a while, the, the Republicans and the Democrats really aren't different uh, at the level of the leadership of both parties on economic issues. So it's not a surprise to see uh, President Obama, uh, when he gets a chance to uh, reverse that horrible um, uh, set of decisions around importing drugs and negotiating with drugs, he continues the Bush decision. So um, I, 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 it's appropriate to lay the blame at Bush. It's appropriate to make sure that Obama is tagged with that same uh, uh, flag, that same marker. Well, the trouble we're facing, though, is that there's an awful lot of loyalty um, to the party, to the tribe, to, um, you know, what Obama is doing because Obama is who he is. And yeah, yeah. that's a problem. Um, yeah. It's a problem for us. It's a problem for progressives. And it's a problem for policymaking. Cliff, is that you? That is me. Thanks. That's much better. Right. Thank you. Sorry about that, that uh, the problems. I hope that I don't hope I don't have to go off on that rant again. It, some of it is understandable. <laughs> Um, so, so, Jay, what I would say uh, to that is that that's actually an opportunity for us. Um, as, as you introduced me correctly, I'm not just a writer, I'm an activist, and I'm always looking for ways, uh, people to work with and ways to do things so that you can, you, we can pry some things loose. Um, the fact that Obama is being so bold is an opportunity to um, separate him, to to call um, voters off the fence in that loyalty. We're seeing a shift. The, the, the loss of his poll numbers is actually a good thing because that loss is attributable to bad behavior on, on economic policy. There's also, as I'm sure you know, a, a, a long and heating discussion within the progressive, progressive activist community about the role of party loyalty and the loyalty of organizations of organizations to the Democratic Party and also the loyalty of individuals to the Democratic Party for any number of reasons, some of them excellent, some of them a little suspect. And we're having that discussion as progressive activists, and I can't think that that isn't good. It, it, it just sounds like a very good thing to me. I'm, I'm optimistic. I like the optimism. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, are you, are you as optimistic, Cliff? I'm strangely optimistic too. I think, I, I, well, because I think it's important um, to be having these conversations uh, and to be sort of staking our ground and making clear where we stand. And um, you know, uh, this battle has been a, is a long one. I think uh, um, for for people who want to sort of look at some of the history, as he always does. Rick Perlstein wrote a great piece for the Nation. Pointing out, you know, going all going back even to the New Deal and pointing out, you know, the mm -hmm. Southern Democrats mm -hmm. and the battles and even pre that in the 1920s and and so we've always had, you know, there's always been this this conservative wing that used to be different. It used to be, you know, the what what became the Strom Thurmond wing of the Republican Party, but but the Southern wing of the Democratic Party today. So yeah, it's not quite what the Republican one is, but still. It's it's the same difficulties on economic issues and, and budget and, and and frankly on social issues and almost everything from the Blue Dog Caucus and some some others too and and so you know the to me the the power the demographics the strength um, the the where people are in the Democratic Party is us you know what I mean I'm talking about on on a grassroots level mm -hmm. the, and 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 and, and, and don't forget to distinguish between voters and activists in a progressive yeah. camp. Yeah, that's I mean that's a great I mean it's a great point too and I, you that's, know so yeah, that's the us I'm interested in is the activists. Yeah, and no and I, I agree with you. Um and I think there's a lot of great activists doing a lot of great work and you know we need to all sort of I think we, there's a there's a sort of um and I understand this there's there, it's easy to get pessimistic let's just put it that way. It's easy to look at things the way we would like them to be which is something resembling uh, the CPC budget, the back-to-work budget, uh, and where we are as a country and, and some of the decisions that are being made and, and, and frankly, the things that we'll get to uh, later in this show, the, the types of people that are showing up on Sunday talk shows and the kinds of things they're saying that are just ludicrous. Uh, and, and, yeah, it's easy, and we all have those moments. Um, but I try to turn those moments into action. I turn them into sort of what I try to turn them into righteous anger, and to make me that much more uh, dedicated to going after the bad guys. 
um, and to get into to, to making sure sound policy goes forward. And look, we you know it, it's not like we haven't done it, you know, a, a number of times and a number of issues. As, as you'll point out, uh, Gaius, we've been more successful for a variety of reasons on rights issues and economic issues in recent years. We had a long period of time where that success was on economic issues and not so much on rights issues. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, I, I just feel like, uh, you know, I, I, I look at where we've gone on issues like gay marriage and where we've gone on the gun issue, where we've gone on, on, on women having, you know, the, the universal right to reproductive justice and, and, and contraception. And, and, you know, the, the right is still fighting back. They're doing what they're doing in North Dakota and Arkansas on, on women's rights and their, and on gay rights and the rest, uh, obviously, uh, they are not going to give up easily, but um, and and frankly, the one the people in our own party uh, aren't going to either. But I just feel like you know what we're on the right side of history, and we have the passion and we have the activism, and I see a lot of positive signs. So I'm not yeah. going to let that stop me from feeling like we're getting there. And we have the momentum, and I think we should bag those wins while they're available, because we are going to be able to bag a whole lot of wins on the right side. Um, let me go back to the sequester just for a second, though, and focus on actions going forward. I know you're an activist also, um, Cliff. I, I see three things that we can do to keep moving the ball. One is to um, continue to put pressure on Congress to build support for H.R. 900, the Cancel the Sequester Bill. Um, I would think another one would be to message Democrats in office that, look, Obama's not going to face an election again, but you better be frightened for your job. There aren't enough K Street lobbying jobs open in January of 2015 to hold all of the people that are going to be kicked out of office if they touch benefit cuts. Put the fear of God into them. And then three, make sure to cut Obama from the herd and tag him as an eager benefit cutter, the benefit cutter in chief, and then ask the Dems, do you want to follow him? Uh, do you have something to add to that or any comment on that? I have a comment. I mean, I think that, that all of that is terrific, and I think the most uh, of all of that, the key point there you made are about uh, about these guys being up for re-election in two years because that's something they actually respond to. And we look at 2010 where Democrats actually paid the price with Republicans running against them and hitting them on Medicare. It's amazing that these guys have to be reminded of this stuff, but they do, and we've got all sorts of negative forces telling them that, that uh, don't believe what your eyes see, you know, the forces of the DCCC and others. And, and I think we just need to be the, we be the ones to be very clear and remind them of what's happened in the past and what will happen in the future. Did you want to create another ridiculous situation where you're being attacked by Republicans for cutting Social Security and Medicare? Again, it's, it's sort of perverse. It's so, it's so ridiculous. To, to be so a Democrat we, on the wrong side of those issues is just amazing to me. So for people in uh, our listening audience uh, or the people who are going to listen via podcast who want to be citizen activists, uh, what would you suggest they could actually do? Well, first of all, read everything you write. <laughs> uh, I mean, <laughs> it just hit me what you said, Cliff. Thank you. <laughs> I, I'm being, I, you know, I'm kidding and I'm not kidding, actually, because what you've done on on these economic issues, like the, the sequester and on Social Security and others, has been amazing. Um, and people need to pay attention because you always have a list handy of who people need to call uh, and and who you know what cages need to be rattled. And I think that that's the most important thing here, because again. There's a certain percentage of politicians. It's, uh, Cliff, you know. Cliff, Cliff, let me expand on that for a second. Sure, what, please. Folks, folks, just so you know, what um, what guys routinely does is he identifies whippable senators, whippable congressmen on issues that are in front of us. That is, people who can be moved from their current position, people who will face pressure in their districts if they hear about it, and distributes those those whiplists um, widely so other people can see them, so we can get people on the phones. And we're going to spend a lot of time on the phones because there's a consensus view against social insurance programs right now inside the Beltway. And the only way we're going to and be able to... And it's huge. Huge consensus. And, and it's wrong. As Cliff's been saying, it's, it's electorally wrong, it's politically wrong, it's widely unpopular, and they need to be reminded every single time. And the best way to do that is by the phone. And 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 Gaius has been extremely active in making those effective and pointed, not just saying call your congressman, call these congressmen, because these are the ones who can be moved. That's right. And every, and I think, list, I think, every list has a list of phone numbers next to the names. 
Yep, I mean, I think that's hugely important. And, and I would also say, you know, of course the phone is easiest and people have busy lives and they can't always do what they'd love to do. And so a phone call you can make in a minute. And I'd say that's hugely important. I would say also if you do have the time and you're in one of those districts or you're you're in driving distance and you can do it and they come home during the recesses coming up, go say hello. Don't scream at people. Don't don't act like you're a crazy person, like you're a, a tea partier, because that's not the way to do it. But but be firm, uh, and let them know your feelings, and let them know what you think about the fact that that uh, that any Democrat or really, frankly, you, there may be people in you know I don't know if there are many what we call moderate Republican uh, moderate Republicans anymore, but at least movable Republican districts, and go let them know what you think too about selling out, frankly, the most popular and successful uh, programs in the history of this country. I would modify that slightly. Uh, instead of saying moderate Republicans, the Republicans that can most be moved are the ones in districts where Obama did well. In That's a great point. It's not necessarily that they're moderate. It's where they're, it's where they're located. Some of, the, right. some of the Tea Party guys are going to run scared yeah. if, they're, if they're in strong Obama districts. If Obama got 47%, 48 49% in their district, they're looking at their jobs, which is job one for them, right? Sadly, it seems that that's always the first, second, third through 47th <laughs> thing they look at. So, yes, this is not some new model we're, we're coming up with here. You just are doing a great job of keeping people informed, which is which, which is what this entity known as the mainstream media used to do. So people need to go and read what you write and then need to follow up. Again, if it's important enough to all of us, we'll, we'll, we'll do everything to make this happen. That is the, the, the key thing here. These guys are movable. They do get moved by phone calls and emails and visits and the rest. And and the truth is is that the, that we have the numbers in, in an enormous way. But the other side obviously will try to spend some money and have some smoke and mirrors and they'll do their thing, Pete Peterson and the gang. But you need to make your voices heard. That's you know as as well as you can. Cliff, you've been at this. Uh, you 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 really are a professional in in that you file a. A Schedule C that that actually shows some some uh, progress on this uh, for a while. Just in your estimation, what is what is the effect of the petition campaigns? Like Credo has a lot of petition campaigns and that sort of thing. Is that a good avenue for citizen activists to to make their voice heard as well? Is it is it effective or how effective is it? It, it is effective, I think, on a number of. I mean, look, it's not always effective, um, and 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 we're all rendered somewhat less effective by some of the gerrymandered districts. Um, but but again, we're talking about issues here like Social Security and Medicare mm-hmm. that are that are pretty universally popular. Um, and also and, guns. And, this this widens out. Well, Oh, we're going to wire to guns, yeah, on background checks. I mean, well, but, again, the, but the petition campaigns cover both sides, the the rights issues plus the the economic issues, right? That's correct. Yeah, and I, but I think they're important in all of them. And look, the people on our side, rights issues. Look at look something like background checks that gets ninety percent support. But look at something like raising the minimum wage, which gets. It usually, what, 80% or something support? I know a number of states, I remember, I don't remember what year it was when Florida voted on, put one on the ballot, and it, it got over 70% support. So, and that, you know, again, that's a swing state. The people are, are with us on these things. So the truth is, whether it's an economics issue or a rights issue, uh, you know, politics is, is uh, a lot of it is sort of psychological warfare right now, for for better or worse. And the truth is, is that if you're if you're one of these guys in their office, um, the more ways that you can be putting it in front of their faces that they're wrong and that they're going to be defeated and that they've made the wrong calculation, the better. And so as far as I'm concerned, from whatever you know, years I've spent working on campaigns and the rest, if you can do it via petition, phone call, visit, email, hell, smoke signals, you know, I mean, whatever you can do to make it clear to these guys again constantly. You remember, I mean, that's frankly what the, some of these Tea Party nuts accomplished with the health care bill in 2009, and they weren't in the majority, you know, but they were able to, they, they, they just had enough people to go out and do this. We're on the right side of, of these issues, and there's a lot of passionate people. And so I would say, yeah, I think petitions are very successful. The, the secondary way they're successful is, is that the, it makes it much more likely that the media covers something. Get yourself 50 or 100,000 or some large number of signatures, and then it becomes a story. So from a public relations perspective, it's important, too, because then the media starts rethinking their view on something. Not always, quite frankly, as we know. There's a lot of ingrained views in, in, in the media, and particularly in the Washington media, but it has some effect. I've seen 
perceptions coming out of them change over time. When you know, when you from these long-term efforts, again, you have to remember, you know, having worked on the issue of guns, uh, I dealt with something back in, in you know, starting on this in 2009 when mainstream media in Washington just kind of blew it off and said, oh yeah, whatever, nothing will ever get done on that. Waste of time, you know, you're wasting my time. You know, uh, sadly, some of the things it took for us to get here, but it wasn't just the tragedies; it was the activism around it, and uh, we're in a different place now. And so, and and media are taking these things seriously and writing about it, and and so I, I just think we need to always keep that in mind. Don't ever get so pessimistic as to think that your voice doesn't matter. Well, it's certainly um, smart to use a couple of principles that I've been giving a lot of thought to: timing and position. Um, I go back to Color of Change and their Alec campaign, and they peeled off so many corporations from support of Alec because they had. They had the timing of the Trayvon Martin shooting, and they had position because it was color of change leading the charge. And the question is, how racist are you, General Motors? How racist are you, um, uh, Coca-Cola? So using, um, pushing hard on all fronts when we've got an opportunity that's, that's created by timing is, is, is really sweet. It's horrible that this Newtown thing happened, but the NRA, as you know, is running scared of it. They're not even calling it Newtown. They're calling it the Kinetic effect or something like that, right? Right. They're because waiting they, for the Kinetic effect to wear off. The, yeah. The, they and, know that and the again, what, what, right. And what you know, what Jay brought up about what David Waldman is doing is is a classic example of how they, they're they're waiting for the Kinetic Kinetic effect to wear off. It hasn't worn off. Oh, um, and it's and not it going to. And we, and we should we should be driving hard. Yeah, we should. All you have to do is be on social media or really, really even reading. I mean, you know, I have stories in front of me. You know, I was talking to you guys off air um, about this op-ed in the Connecticut Post written by the EMT, one of the EMTs who arrived first in the scene in Sandy Hook and wrote about how deadly and dangerous assault weapons are. Usually when they get there, there is there is a chance to save people in an accident, whatever that accident may be. You don't generally cancel ambulances. You take people to the hospital. The people have to be mangled to a point and be in such bad shape as these kids horribly were from these high-powered mil- you know, military-style oh, weapons. God. It, it and, must have been a butcher shop in there. Yeah, it must have been. And so he wrote this piece in the Connecticut Post. It, it got published, and it's getting a lot of attention. The Washington Post, I was just you know looking through, and they were doing a big study on guns. And uh, now guns are shaped by race in America. If you're African American, you're much more likely if you're if if you're a victim of gun violence it's to be in a homicide. Whereas with whites, it's much more likely to be suicide. Which is another big report that just came out showing the epidemic of suicide and and mm. it's being covered in the states. Of course, that have fewer gun regulations. The suicide rate is much higher. Using drugs on yourself. You, you know, I just read this. This is unbelievable to me. If you use drugs to try to, to, try to kill yourself, your chances of success often fall as low as two percent. It's an eighty percent success rate with a gun. Just a half half thought here. Everybody in the audience who's listening can look back at their own life and think of times when they were very very upset about something. How many times, if there were a gun in the house, would you have reached for that gun at the lowest point in your life? That's, That's right. a real statistic. And that is. And, and and to me, the important thing is I'm looking at it covered in the Washington Post. I'm looking at it covered in the psychiatric magazine. It's being written about. The point is, you know, I've got two few things open in front of me. The point is that it's being written about. And it wasn't. Particularly suicide was just, you know, I mean, it was almost not discussed before. And so uh, when it came to guns. And so I'm just saying... Things have changed, and again, the media has responded to this, and no doubt there's been money spent by a number of sources uh, for the first time on getting greater public safety for all those, but at the same time, it's not just that. It's activism. With that race in, in Chicago where Debbie Halverson was defeated, who, by the way, also was terrible on economic issues on Dodd-Frank, mm-hmm. uh, but she yes. was endorsed by the NRA over over her Republican opponent in 2008 and 2010. Um, so that's what we're talking about. That's how crazy she was on this issue, was trying to win in Chicago. Um, you know, it wasn't just that, that uh, Mayor Bloomberg's uh, super PAC spent the money there. Credo was on the ground there, you know, mm-hmm. and doing, doing work. Move On was involved. DFA was involved. PCCC was involved. And so um, it, it was the work by progressive activists knocking on doors, you know, sending out uh, mail, doing a variety of other things that helped complement, uh, you know, the situation. And that was a big win. 
in the end, because Debbie Halverson came in way ahead with much more name recognition. I'm just saying we have to sometimes stop for a second and say, you know, we did some good things along the way. And that's a great, and with uh, that, yeah. great segue for uh, this week's Culture of Truth's most ridiculous thing that happened this Sunday. Sherry, can you hear it? Hi, I'm Culture of Truth. Today, the Sunday's talk shows address two hot-button issues, gay marriage and gun control. On gay marriage, Peggy Noonan told us that, quote, Americans don't take it well when their black robe masters in Washington, unquote, decide on social issues, and that one of the great sins of Roe v. Wade was, quote, that it decided everyone has to do it one way, unquote. Leaving gay marriage to the states would be good, said Noonan, because, quote, it's not only localities and keeping power local, it also takes a little time. Sometimes it's good when everything takes a little time to settle itself, unquote. Ralph Reed argued that the Supreme Court should find value, quote, in the uniquely complementary and procreative union of a man and a woman, unquote, and, quote, that the enduring, loving, intact biological mother and father is best for children, and it's not even a close call, unquote. Covering the upcoming Supreme Court case on gay marriage, David Gregory asked lawyer David Boys, quote, Was Roe v. Wade decided too quickly? On gun control, Ralph Reed argued against stricter laws because the current federal proposals would not have prevented Newtown and have too many exemptions, while Noonan said we can't have new gun laws because, quote, the central fact is that nobody in America really trusts Congress. David Brooks said we don't need gun control, we just need to incarcerate more people. Said Brooks about Wayne LaPierre, quote, to his credit, he's talking about that stuff. Carl Rove said, if you want gun laws, quote, then stop scaring people. Reporter Terry Moran said, quote, you're scaring people with this Orwellian sense that black helicopters and the government, if we register guns, they're going to confiscate Americans' guns, calling that kind of thinking paranoia. Rove responded, quote, with all due respect, it is not paranoia. Wayne LaPierre followed up his recent disastrous appearance on Meet the Press with another performance suggesting he's still not putting a lot of thought into his policies. LaPierre opposes universal background checks because, quote, criminals aren't going to be checked. They're not going to do this. The shooters in Tucson and Aurora and Newtown, they're not going to be checked. They're unrecognizable, unquote. LaPierre is worried that eliminating the loophole will create a national registry. Quote, there's going to be a list created. That list will be abused. Some newspaper will print it all. Somebody will hack it, unquote. He also complained that mental health and medical records will never be in the system, so we cannot expand checks to private sales, but then said the NRA is, quote, working on a bill right now that will hopefully at least get the records of those adjudicated mentally incompetent and dangerous into the check system that applies on dealers, unquote. But it's not clear he supports the current system of checks used by gun stores, saying it's, quote, not fair, it's not accurate, it's not instant, unquote. He responded to a question about the AR-15 rifle by asking, why is Chicago dead last in enforcement of the gun laws against gangs with guns, felons with guns, drug dealers with guns, unquote, and stating, quote, we forced the administration somehow to enforce the federal gun laws. I know they don't want to do it, but they ought to do it, unquote. So we can't have background checks for private sales or at gun shows because a gun registry list might be abused or hacked but we need to start adjudicating people mentally incompetent and dangerous and create and distribute lists of these people. Gun stores should have this list, but not gun shows, because criminals will buy guns illegally and other dangerous people are unrecognizable. We can't regulate assault rifles with large magazines because Chicago has gangs with guns, which proves Obama doesn't want to enforce gun laws. 
But it's not paranoid to warn that the president wants to confiscate everyone's guns. And that's the most ridiculous thing that happened this Sunday. Doing the dance, the Carl dance. Doing the dance, the Carl dance. Cliff, what's your issue? First, I'll just start by saying uh, what an amazing collection of people that were on the Sunday show. Sunday show is, I mean, seriously, uh, it says everything you know about Washington that we're, we're discussing guns and, and issues of this import with Wayne LaPierre, who frosts in the mouth when he talks about it, which he did the last time he was on Meet the Press, called President Clinton a murderer, uh, You know, stood, stood alongside the militias and everything he's done. You've, you've got Karl Rove, who outed an undercover uh, agent. Um, you've got Ralph Reed, who uh, duped uh, many of his evangelical followers into supporting uh, into to supporting his quest to suppress one Native American tribe's goal of having a casino to support another one because Jack Abramoff told him to. Not to mention protecting the uh, rights of, of uh, forced abortions and uh, pro- women forced into prostitution in the Marianas Islands. And I can go Along on. with Ralph Reed, I will add, who is also featured in that little take. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That was Ralph Reed, who, who along with Abramoff, yeah. um, you know. So, I mean, it's amazing to me. I mean, you literally have people that are criminals, traitors. Uh, I mean, yeah, whatever. We can go on, but, but yeah, I mean, everything they said there is 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 mockable, is ridiculous. Wayne Lapierre, of course, also trying to go forward and say that this stuff was being thrust on the American people, and he you know, tried to put it all on Mayor Bloomberg, the money that's being spent. Didn't, of course, mention the fact that 91% or 88%, depending upon what polls you look at most recently, of people uh, support closing uh, and having universal uh, background checks, closing the gun show loophole, that 87% of people, for example, in Oklahoma support it, 90% in North Carolina I mean, we're not just talking about liberal districts. There was a district actually in New Jersey where it got 100% support, uh, literally 100%. Have you ever seen any poll come out on any issue with 100% support? So he's, he's, of course, being serially dishonest, which he is, because he fronts for arms dealers and protects the right of domestic terrorists and criminals to get their hands on guns. That's how he makes his $1.4 million a year. That's what Wayne LaPierre does. But when he acts like that somehow people's opinions are being forced upon them somehow by somebody spending money, which is actually what the NRA has done for years, which is it, it spends millions of dollars to, to affect policy, to lie, to create propaganda so people don't really understand uh, the true uh, stakes of, of what uh, of this battle, of what guns are doing to, be, to people in this country, what the Second Amendment actually really means. Um, and, and, you know, just to add a couple of statistics, when he tries to say that, uh, you know, well, you just need a good guy with a gun and, and things will be better if, if we have more guns. Well, just so you know, uh, you, the, that, uh, that that, of course, is BS. The, the women being killed by intimate partners with a gun is 38% lower in states that have closed the gun show loophole, that have universal background checks. So I guess these guys are objectively pro-domestic uh, abuse and murder. Uh, gun trafficking is 48% lower in those states. And, you know, we go on and on and on. So nothing Wayne LaPierre said today changed anything, made any more sense than anything he said in the past. Peggy Newton on the gun issue, again, never makes any sense. I mean, seriously, this is a person that's paid the right things that we're supposed to believe in. I mean, is any, I, I, I can't fathom Peggy Newton. I only can just sit here almost and just uh, completely make fun of her because I'm not sure where else to go with. Well, people don't trust Congress, so we really can't pass a gun law. So really, I guess we shouldn't pass any laws, should we? I mean, Peggy Newton's analysis somehow doesn't seem to apply to anything else. It doesn't apply to cutting Social Security. We don't trust Congress, so we shouldn't cut Social Security. Yeah, she wouldn't believe that. Uh, I mean, this, this, this collection of people are such a bunch of jokers. And again, Ralph Reed has proven himself to be a criminal. So, I, you know, I really don't care much what he thinks. But these are the people that the Sunday shows deemed were worthy of coming on, people that have been wrong about everything and been on the wrong side, frankly, of the law, almost indicted, should have been indicted. I mean, Ralph Reed and Carl Rove both came pretty darn close. Uh, and, and that's who been, who's given a microphone to speak as if they've got any authority on anything. It, 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 it's the best example you can have for the corruption of our system right now, frankly. And, and I've, I've ranted enough, so I'll, I'll hand it over to Gaius. Well, I just uh, it, it's interesting to me, the gun issue. Um, I really do think that, that we've, we've turned the corner. We just need to push, push, push. I, I really think that. Uh, number two, it's an interesting two-sided issue because you're really dealing with, um, on, at, at the level of some uh, gun supporters, um, kind of testosterone patriots. 
uh, notice that it's mainly men. And yet at the, at the second level, you're basically dealing, as you always say about Wayne LaPierre, a guy with his hand out getting money stuffed in it from the arms business. I mean, he's in the business of taking those bribes and then stoking up the testosterone patriots. And it's, it's, it's kind of fascinating to watch how this works. Yeah. And I think I can say I'm fascinated because I think we're winning. If, if we were losing, I'd be much more upset. No, and I agree with that 100%. I'm, I, like you and any other sentient being, are horrified along the way about people that are losing their lives and being hurt. And that's the only the only thing, obviously, that weighs heavily on my heart. It doesn't stop me you know, from trying to, to, to realize that we are making a big difference. Things are changing, and frankly, along the way using satire to just make fun of these morons for, for who they are. Because I mean, you, if you can't laugh at these people, again, I mean, they're just they're just pathetic. Uh, their arguments are pathetic. And nothing Wayne LaPierre made and said there, I mean, he contradicted himself. He, of course, was in favor of background checks back in 99 post-Columbine because he thought he had to do it. So they were all in favor of it then. Now he says it doesn't work. But remember, I mean, that, that part at the end of the culture of truth but there is perfect. We, what yeah. we need is we, we need to get more people mentally adjudicated mentally ill so we can get them into a system that won't be allowed to be applied to anything but sales at gun, at gun stores. So how does that matter? But we want to put them on a list and have that list. But if we create a list for anybody else, like let's say gun shows, that would be a list that would create a registry. So that's bad. It's not bad if you're doing it to people that are mentally ill. I mean, it's just the whole thing, the whole argument makes no sense in and of itself. But one of the things that's happening, though, is that um, you know the public health thing is is catching on this time around. The idea that this is a public health issue that doctors have always argued for, and the NIH has tried to study and then been blocked by NRA lobbying. But for some reason, this seems to have hit. It might be because they were kids, so many kids, so badly, so badly killed. But we seem to be moving the public opinion towards this isn't. This isn't really a rights issue. It's a public health issue. Well, I would call it a rights issue, and it's your right not to get shot up. But, yeah, I wouldn't agree, disagree with anything you said, Jay. Well, and I agree with that, too. And, and, I, and I, I think you know, there's other perspectives coming out now. And, I, you know, this is one I've railed on about. And, again, I, when I talk about this piece um, that, I was, that I was looking at that was in the Connecticut Post, I think one of the things um, that heartened me the most about it, and I'm just sort of, I'm trying to look in case anybody wants to read it to say who it is by, because I didn't remember the name. Um, it is by Peter Houlihan, who is the emergency medical technician, who is the first responder in the, the tragedy there. What he wrote about is, again, where were the rights of the 26 people there to have their government protect them? Which, by the way, comes in the part of the Constitution before those amendments, and not to say that the amendments aren't very important, but where is the part about the government provide, our government providing for the general welfare of its people and providing for domestic tranquility? I would think those things weigh just as heavily as any Second Amendment right uh, that was based on based on at a very different time and a very different concept than the one we've got protecting arms dealers today. So this, you know, and and. It, again, it's not to say that there, there wasn't some sort of a right to bear arms built in there. There was. It's what that right to bear arms meant. And, of course, until uh, the, the Roberts Court that also saw fit to, to trying to overturn, you know, very close to, to throwing out the Commerce Clause and to the Citizens United decision and, and the other unbelievable activist decisions they made, no one took this argument seriously that that, that was an individual right. And no historians I studied in my Ph.D. program took that seriously. Um, because if you know the context of when it was written and how it was written, you understand that. And so I, I think it's important now that, that this guy put this in this piece. I think that that's an important thing because when you're talking, guys, about rights, you know, that's my argument. You can talk about your Second Amendment rights to your blue in the face. I have a right to send my two kids to school and have them come home. That's exactly the way people are seeing it as a rights issue that you can send your first grader and not have them cut in half with an AR-15. That's exactly so, right. Yeah. So, and, and and that's how that's how people are seeing it, and that's why we're winning. Um, I know, Cliff, we've got we, we've had some actually action in the Senate, which gets into some inside baseball on the Senate, but also um, which is revealing, uh, but also in, uh, involving um, uh, legislation in the Senate. Can you talk to that? Sure. Uh, sadly, you know. We have kind of, in, in our way, all, all of us, all three of us talking here, many of the rest of us, often been critical 
of President Obama, uh, and deservedly, for sort of negotiating in a manner in which he sort of starts at the almost at the uh, the other the other uh, starts by giving up half of what he wants immediately. If you know, and 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 the negotiating posture is, we'll start on uh, I'll start on year forty, and then we'll negotiate on up on year twenty. Um, uh, half of what he says he wants. Yeah, I know. Important that's the question. It is. It is an important distinction because um, you're right. I mean, the truth is, is that you maybe that the 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 what may prove that you're exactly right about that is where he seems to really want action on the gun issue. Yep. He, he started off driving a much harder bargain. And the truth is, the assault weapons ban, and I haven't given up hope for it because again, knowing what these weapons do, it's it's sickening that, and 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 certainly even more importantly than that, than that to me, limiting uh, you know limiting magazines to ten bullets. New York just passed the law limiting to seven. Colorado did limit it to fifteen. I think ten federally is a reasonable number, um, unless you're a really, really piss poor hunter. Let's just say you hunt like Dick Cheney if you need more than, <laughs> than ten bullets. Um, and and so, uh, you, you know, I I I think that that this is all reasonable. But I, I, again, President o, to to the to the right, people doing the gun industry's bidding. In a way, that was going to be some of the stuff that you might have to negotiate away in the end, and that might be a longer-term fight that we have to take on. But a gun trafficking bill, which even got the support of one Republican out of the Senate Judiciary Committee, got the support of, of Tweetin' Chuck Grassley, um, so that there was uh, solid support on that. A background check bill came out of the judiciary, too, uh, just like the assault weapons bill uh, that that was limited only to Democrats voting for it, Republicans voting against it. Um, there's now a number of Republicans who had said they would be for, for background checks, or at least they'd be open-minded to it, including Jeff Flake of Arizona uh, is, a, is a key one that comes up that are being hit in ads that, that, um, that Mayor Bloomberg's super PAC put on the air to remind them uh, of, of what they said. And so it'll be interesting. I, the, the big argument right now, the big fight that's going on in the Senate is whether these records, these guys are always paranoid that these records being kept are going to be turned into a registry of some sort. And so that is the argument here. And, and background checks can still be effective at the point of stopping people, at the point of sale, if you don't keep those records. But if you don't, as we know, there are plenty of people that when they buy a gun, they're committing a, a legal act. Um, but you know what? For tracing, for criminal tracing later on, you may want to actually have that record. I know that seems crazy and overbearing, but you may want to actually have that record so that if somebody then does commit a criminal act, you can trace where the gun came from. Um, I know in a country that's accepted warrantless wiretapping and has accepted state secrets uh, and has accepted going to war without acts of Congress and uh, the Patriot Act and whatever, that would seem to be a crazy, crazy thing to keep any sort of a list of people that have bought a weapon that kills people, but apparently that's a bridge too far for, well, for, the, for, the, for the people that support torture at Abu Ghraib. You're leaving um, out the fact that we have to record our purchases of decongestants. Say that again, Jay? I'm sorry. You, you left out the fact that we have to keep a record of our purchases of decongestants. There you go. Exactly. It, it, it's, it's ludicrous. Um, and so that's the fight. Uh, I'm pretty confident we're going to get some sort of a background check bill because Mark Kirk's on board. It seems Susan Collins is on board. It seems John McCain is on board and a couple a couple of other Republicans. I think they'll get to the number of 60, which is a whole other discussion that we shouldn't have to get to. Um, but and, and I think in the House there's enough Republicans, even some Peter King and Grimm, uh, uh, Mike Grimm from New York, have come out in favor um, a number of others, some of the ones in New Jersey and Pennsylvania, Runyon, some others have said they're open-minded to it. I mean, there's a good good 15, 20 Republicans that are just, when you look at New York, uh, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, you know, and a few other states in the area there that are going to be in a lot of trouble if they don't, they don't deal on this issue. So well, my guess but, is the but, question is but, how strong a background checks bill will we get? I really think... <laughs> Well, Cliff, ahead, I'm sorry. curious about in your work. I'm curious because you know you're talking about the northern states. I mean, like Maine, for example. You know, Maine's a gun state, but Maine's a hunting state. It's you know, it's a different mentality about what the guns are about. But that's um, it. it. That's the distinction, Jay. I don't want to cut you off, but that's the key distinction. I mentioned because there's a legitimate argument here. I'm not saying that hunting is you know is illegitimate. I'm not saying shooting for sport, which I used to do on a riflery team, is illegitimate. 
Uh, I used to love doing it. It was done under safe circumstances. You know, uh, we, we were very careful. We understood that guns were things that could kill people. Um, so it's not, but that's the difference between when you go to sort of the Great Lakes states and you go to some of the, the New England states. You're talking about Maine, Vermont. You know, there's 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 a belief in gun rights, but it really is based upon hunting. It's based upon these things we're talking about. It's not based upon people thinking black helicopters are coming in. You know, that Barack Obama's coming door-to-door -door to take your guns. And I'm not saying that's everybody in Mississippi or Alabama or Utah or Hawaii, but frankly, in a lot of the states, this is, it's, this is, this is not about hunting. It's about identity. It's so, about your so, identity as a white guy, and we've talked about this under, with other issues too, whether it's guns or gay marriage or abortion rights, that it's, you're a white, older, rural guy, and the, the world was yours, and it's your privilege, and others don't have the right to take that away from you. And you're being told daily by the NRA that there are people that are going to swoop in you know, and take that away from you. It's, it's based on paranoia and insanity. It's what so they were talking we about with Carl Rove on, on the weekend show. I'm sorry. Uh, go ahead. No, 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 no. I'm I'm sorry. Um so if we want to focus on what can we do to help the effort, it looks to me like the, the, the Senate is taking the lead and then it will move to the House. Is there one bill in the Senate we should be watching or a group of bills? Well, overall, it seems there are going to be a number of amendments, and so that's how the assault weapons ban is going to be introduced. Um, but but they're, you know, they're, they're going to, they voted on this. We're going to get a vote after the recess um, in April. And I think people just need to be preparing um, and, uh, you know, we need to do the best to get the information out to you, but I don't have you on this guy sending out all the uh, numbers to call. Uh, but there will be plenty of us on it. I promise you uh, we'll be tweeting it out and we'll be sending it out and we'll be making sure everybody knows who the, who the people are uh, that, that are in, the, in swing districts that need to be moved on this because so, it, there will be sorry. one bigger bill. You know, I mean, I want people also, I will hope they will be activists and make those calls and make those visits on and push for an assault weapons ban, even though it's a much tougher haul for that to happen. But the background checks and the gun trafficking aspects of that bill have to happen. We need that much. And so, that you know, there will be one main bill that we'll be talking about here, and that's what you'll need to get behind. I, I think that, if I remember right, the bill has been reported out of committee. Yes. Um, it's kind of peripheral for me because uh, I've been watching the sequester stuff and also climate stuff, which uh, I, I've been having a hard time squeezing in. But um, it's been reported out of committee, and one of the big kerfuffles in the uh, Senate is that Feinstein's um, care about, the one that whichever one it is that she really cares about, uh, didn't get into the big bill, it got, uh, that got promised that it would be added as an amendment and it would get an up or down vote. As That's a the assault amendment. weapons ban, which Harry Reid has, has promised, I'll put promised in quotes, um, that it will, get an, it will get an up or down vote. That's what he's promised. And my, and be, go ahead. My understanding is that Feinstein is furious about that, even though she's still pushing strongly and saying I'm a member of the team and so forth. Can you can you help us understand how that assault weapons ban got pulled out of the main bill uh, before it got out of committee and, and what the prospect is in the Senate as an amendment? Well, Harry Reid pulled it, and, and, and being ever so helpful to the cause, as Harry Reid often is, came out and said he didn't think there were even 40 votes for it. Um, Harry Reid, you need to know, in the past was someone who was supported by the NRA. This has been a very pro-gun uh, politician. So having him be the leader on this is what makes everybody nervous. But I think it's enough of a priority to President Obama and to some other people that uh, that Harry Reid's going to have to push for certain elements of it. But, yeah, there's no doubt the NRA, when they, the, the assault weapons ban part of it, uh, and that does Diane Feinstein is rightly furious about that, but that you know because sometimes uh, these guys don't seem to get it. It's just worth having the argument, isn't it? Um, hey, hey, but, Cliff, we got a question from the audience. It's actually a test, I think. But um, the question is, um, what what firearm is most likely used in gun violence? Most commonly used in gun violence? I assume it's a handgun. I, I in regular run-of-the-mill uh, gun violence, I, I would assume that it would be a handgun. Yes. The assault weapons tend to be used in these high, uh, in these high death incidents, in these massacres. But um, I would be much. Mostly, would, mostly on mostly on the range, actually. I'm sorry. Mostly on the range. I mean, you know, that's the only place you could safely shoot them. Yeah, 
Right. Um, uh, no, I mean that, that's uh, that that would be you know I don't have that stat in front of me, but yes, the assault weapons are you you know the, there are not that's one of the things that the the uh, right has tried to twist around because they'll say there are more people killed by hammers than by assault than by guns in a year, or they'll try to or they will sometimes even be honest to say assault weapons and of course then leave out the rest of the gun deaths. Um, because, yeah, the assault weapon deaths tend to only happen in these mass casualty incidents. Um, but then again, if they, they don't have to happen, and they didn't, uh, we've had half of the massacres we've had, gun massacres in this country, have happened since the assault weapons uh, ban expired, half in the history of the United States. So uh, that's since 2004. So uh, that should, that's just to let you know, obviously, that in the mass killing incidents, that's where the assault weapons come in. But yes, every day suicides, every day uh, homicides, every day accidental shootings, uh, those happen all the time with handguns. Because again, these are things that we, we, you know, we treat as toys, that we don't have PSAs out there warning people about their danger. We, don't, we haven't been letting the CDC do the research it needs to do. We haven't let the Consumer Product Safety Bureau actually have a, a, be able to oversee guns the way it oversees every other product. Basically, you know, we've, we've hampered what the ATF's able to do by defunding them, attacking them at every turn, allowing the NRA to demonize them. Yeah, I mean, when you try to create a result like this, guess what happens? You get this result. Again, you pointed out cold medicine. We regulate that more heavily. I mean, you, you can find a lot of things that are much more regulated than guns, as I said, including toy guns. So, um, that, I mean, we we have created that situation where got, where we don't often hear about and, and you know the everyday, and now we are because more people are paying attention. The everyday accidents, the everyday shootings, the everyday just you know someone walking up and in, in mistaken identity shooting somebody in a car or doing you know these things happen all the time. And that graphic up at the Huffington Post shows it because we're now at about 2,200 uh, deaths by gun since Newtown. So uh, for people who aren't aware of that, there's a Huffington Post graphic uh, that was linked to from the headline earlier today, how many deaths since on Newtown. It's, it's a stunning graphic. And if you hover over some of that stuff, a lot of the shootings are one person died, two person died, one person died, three people died, one person died. Obviously, high numbers of small-scale shootings argues, because I think you're right, Cliff, most people have handguns in cities as yep. opposed to rifles, which are which are more a rural weapon and, and, a, and a hunting weapon. Yep. Um, so the rifle deaths are accidental shootings. You know, they didn't know it was loaded kind of silliness. Uh, the handguns is somebody gets, gets mad and goes get the gun. That's exactly right. There was a time when concealed handguns, it was understood that, that largely that was uh, an offensive weapon. But so now, before we run run out of time, Cliff, are you going to follow what's going on with the Feinstein Amendment? If anybody out there cares about the weapons, uh, the, um, uh, the the assault weapon ban, are you going to follow that closely enough so that if we follow you, we get the news? Yes, I will absolutely be on that. I'll be on the, the larger bill. I'll be on other amendments um, that are offered, because there probably will be numerous other ones, both good and bad. I will be following it. I will be tweeting it. I'm at Cliff Schechter if anybody wants to follow me. Um, and and I'll, I'll make sure besides me, there will be other people who will be reporting it to. Mother Jones has done a terrific job of covering this, the, the, the mass shootings and the aspects of this bill. Uh, there's a great writer at the Hill, Mike Lillis, who writes a lot about guns that I would recommend. You know, again, <clears throat> not to... to to uh, push your blog too much, uh, I'll have to start charging you uh, for PR soon, Gaius. But your, your co-blogger, John Aravosis, does a terrific job of covering this yes, issue. He and is, he he's another one who should be read job. on this. There, there's a number, I would say, John, I'd say Mike Lillis at the Hill, I would say Mother Jones. Um, you know, there's there's a number of places where you, you can find and, and and again, I will be tweeting it out, putting it up on my Facebook page. I will be out there with it, making sure people know who to call, when to call them, and you know who needs to hear from us? What state these different bills are in? Because it needs to be done. So, if, if as it comes time for a vote on uh, uh, the, the Feinstein Amendment, if you could help me understand which senators fall where, maybe I'll produce one of those lists with phone numbers in the Senate and, and help you guys out on this one. Hey, just that offer is an offer I accept. Having you on our side means we're more likely to win. So, I'm in. Well, I'm all for specifics, so there we go. Thank you. Sure. Thank you. Well, that sounds like a wrap to me. 
Thank you so much for joining us. I mean, these are critical issues, and um, you guys have both been working them really hard. And I think we're, you know, we saw a sea change in this country happen really quickly with respect to gay rights. And part of that was really, really hardworking activists standing up for what they believed in. And, you know, it just turned out that the majority view all of a sudden took fire as people found out that their lives really were affected differently than they thought they were. So this is a real opportunity. And maybe we'll make some progress. I think that's a great I way think of looking we will. at it. I, I'm, I, the, the, the wind's at our back. We just need to take advantage of it. That's exactly right. Well, thanks for joining us, folks. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you, Cliff. We'll see you next week, folks, on Virtually Speaking Sunday. You've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.